As we look forward to our, our elections, we are dedicating the first few moments of each service to pray for our country. We know that freedom and our liberty are eroding, and we are praying for a platform that will be in favor of honoring God and uh, the First Amendment, as well as the Second Amendment, um, a platform that uh, honors life. You know, uh, in our day 12 of praying for our country, those that have those uh, prayer, today 12 is nearly two-thirds of people in the USA say they do not believe in absolute standards for right or for wrong. Instead, they think morality depends on the situation. Pray that many of these men and women discover the truth of God's word. We do believe that there is a moral truth and that we are to um, follow what those absolutes are. And it's lined out clearly in God's word. And so we're praying for America. We pray that America that will have a platform that will uh, be in favor of what makes not only for life, but a healthy, blessed life. And in speaking of that, I've asked Aaron to come and to share a ministry, ministry that um, has grown um, in, in um, public uh, um, arena of, of knowing that there is a great issue that's happening in our country. And again, we pray for a platform that will help those that are being abused, those that need liberty and um, we pray for that kind of a platform to lead our country. And so, Aaron, would you come up and share what God's laid on your heart? And I ask you to pray for our country. Come on up here, Aaron. Good morning, guys. How are you? Um, I had the opportunity, a unique opportunity last week, to uh, go to Texas with my boss. And uh, he and his wife have been involved with the ministry um, for about the last nine years. And it's a, it's a twofold ministry. One is um, troubled teens, youth that, that are struggling with, you know, adolescence and life decisions. And so it's either court ordered or it's uh, just mom and dad don't know what to do. And so they kind of go and give their kid almost to like a boarding school. Um, it's a Christian ministry. It's, it's something where they're going to learn the values and um, learn about Jesus. Um, and then the other half of the ministry um, that's called Together Freedom uh, rescues girls out of sex trafficking. And um, they're at a place right now where um, they used to be here in California, um, and they had the opportunity. God gave them a 50-acre ranch in Texas uh, that they own outright now, so they don't have a rental. They don't have a, a payment um, that's not for the Lord. Um, and basically, they're, they're at a crux. They, they can't take any more girls and rescue them because they don't have enough housing for staff to live on property to take care of the girls. And so my boss uh, went there last month. Um, his son did an internship for about a month. And um, he just fell on his knees and started to cry because the Lord gave him a vision to build homes for permanent staff so that way they could rescue more girls. And um, it's something that I've been to up in Northern California when it was here, but going there and just seeing the, the, the vision of what God's going to ultimately accomplish through this ministry is beautiful. Um, the hard thing is it's, it's, it takes time, it takes money, and it takes uh, the diligence of people wanting to get involved. 
Um, the cool kind of redemptive story or the thing that start, started it for me was the, the girl, uh, her name's Tiffany and her husband, his name is Blaze, not spelled like a normal Blaze. Um, she was a troubled teen uh, that went there. And then Phil, the guy that owns the property, when she was like 14, sat her down on a bench and said, Tiffany, someday you could run this place. And she said, yeah, right. And now her, 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 her husband, uh, her husband's father, um, they've got two beautiful kids, but they're caring for about 30 youth. And um, to see their heart and their passion to not only save the loss, but to protect the modern day slavery girls is, it's just life-giving. Um, so right now, my boss is uh, donating five out of the 10 foundations. Um, I had a little video, but it didn't work out to watch it. Um, if you guys have any questions, if you, if you want to get involved, please, I'll be here after service. Um, maybe in the, in the future, as we have updates, um, right now we based a road um, and walking paths around the property. We've, uh, we've already trenched. We have a crew there on site right now. They've already um, lumber and, and stakes and all the stuff that it takes to actually build the foundations was delivered this week, uh, and we're hoping to pour um, at the end of, of next week. So, um, yeah, we're really, really excited. Um, the shells, basically, um, they're kind of like like um, quarter stores or like uh, it's a, a 14 by 28 um, they're going to have like their own little individual studios and then we'll end up building a communal kitchen and a laundry room. Um, but yeah. So this is the other thing that was on my heart when Pastor Gary was asking if I would pray. Um, in Second Chronicles, it's kind of the crux of the Old Testament. And um, that's kind of where, where my heart's been uh, these last couple days, just about where we are as a nation and where... Um, where we should be praying, Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, "If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land." Father, we just we ask right now for a humbled leadership. We ask for a nation unified under God. Lord, we pray for um, strongholds to be broken. We pray for, for big, big vision for an entire nation to submit to a holy God. Lord, I pray that there would be salvation in this year like we've never experienced. I pray, Lord, for a revival in our hearts and in our minds that we would know that you are the true king over this world, over this universe, over our land. Lord, I pray for whoever you appoint to office, that they would serve, that they would seek you, and that ultimately you would be glorified. Lord, we pray for a unity in our government like we've never experienced before, because that's what it's gonna take for breakthrough and for change. So Lord, we surrender this year to you. We ask that your way in all of our elections, Lord, we ask for provision and favor, and we pray for the right person to do the right job. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
You may stand and sing with us if you would like. God bless America And that I love Stand beside her And guide her Through the night with the light from above From the mountains To the prairies To the oceans Wide with foam God bless America My home sweet home God bless America My home sweet home It's not our permanent one if we know Jesus. And that one's going to be perfect. We will never have to pray about someone ruling perfectly. It'll be holy. It'll be awesome. Let's sing our next song. Praise is rising.
David said, I go to the altar of my God where he's my source of all my joy. He's the source of all my joy. So today, as we sing, let's have joy. And if you came with heavy heart, I know I've got some issues and I need his joy in my life. So right now, as you sing, just personalize it. Um, just who he is and who, what he can give to us, what he can make up that we're lacking in our own lives. The lion. <laughs> He's 
You said in the Old Testament that you are the great I am. And you're everything that we could imagine. You are that cornerstone. You are our rock. You are our peace. You are our joy. And you're our comforter when our hearts break. You're our forgiver when we sin. You redeem us. We could go on for days. And one day we look forward to that day when that trumpet sounds and we get to glory and we get to praise you and thank you for all eternity, never fearing that we will do wrong because we have been made right because of that cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, so much for being that obedient son, that willing son to die for wretched sinners like us. We cannot tell you thank you enough. We can't even imagine or comprehend what that means, holy. But we are grateful, and we want to learn more. So as we listen to the word today, may we learn another depth to our own walk. Wherever we're at, we're all at different places. So we pray that you will take us to that next level. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to say, uh, appreciate Aaron's testimony. It was given earlier. If, if you missed it, uh, maybe you can go back on uh, Facebook Live and watch it. Uh, it was uh, powerful what God is doing there. And I was thinking uh, next week, we'll, we'll get time to get that video up and uh, show what he's talking about because we, we want to see that. And I just think, I don't know what God's doing with this, but pray with us about this. Perhaps. He's leading us to help with, and maybe even one of those houses. I'm just throwing something out here. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's, it's yeah. I, I could just see this vision that, that we adopt one of those houses, folks. And, and if they allow us to, yeah, and if they allow us to call it the Soma's house, that we would be have a personal connection relationship with that, and we would support that. Wouldn't that be cool? What's that? And and somas does mean something with water, and so we could just we could find a scripture for that, and we could just we could bless them as God has blessed us. He has given us so much, and it would be so good to be a blessing to those young ladies and young people that you know. We live in a broken world. And the hope of this world, my friend, is not a government. It's not education. It's not having more stuff. It's Jesus. He is the hope of this world. And I love when ministries recognize that and that the most important thing is that they need Jesus, and I believe that this is such a ministry because you can die with all the things in the world. You can die with a perfect government. You can die without, but if you die without Jesus, you're eternally lost. And so we pray for that ministry. Father, I do just feel led to pray for uh, specifically, and I'm not sure what the name of this ministry is, but this ministry, God, you know, and you know those young hearts, that even today there are literally hundreds, even thousands of children that are being abused all around the world 
even in our own county. God, we want to be a part of the solution. We want to be part of helping these kids find liberty from their abusers, but ultimately liberty from uh, sin and the, the guilt and penalty of sin. We know that you're able to give them the freedom, eternal freedom, eternal joy, that you can come in and erase all the bad things that have happened into their life and, and give them a new life, a new mind, a new heart in Christ Jesus. And so we ask, Lord, we ask, what is our part in that? And you would stir us and move us to help. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles this morning, would you please turn into the book of James? It's at the end of the uh, your Bible, right before Revelations and Peter, and you'll find the book of James. You want to turn to chapter 4. So we begin at chapter 4. We're, we're going to talk about avoiding conflict with others. You know, I had, uh, in my Bible college, I had a, a guy named David Martin. He was my roommate. He was my roommate for three years. And uh, he was a guy that loved to debate. I mean, he, he was constantly, if you said something was white, he, he would say, no, it's not white. And he'd, he'd go off on, or, or he would say, you know, uh, whatever it was. You know, he was always taking the opposite side. And finally, I told David, I said, David, man, said, I, I think your calling is to be a, a, a lawyer. You, you should do that. Well, David Martin today is a successful lawyer. He's an attorney. And uh, he just has that. So we're going to talk about avoiding conflict, unless you're an attorney. <laughs> um, you know, we thank God for godly attorneys. So James tells us how we can do that. So we'll begin in verse 1 in James chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, all 10 verses that we're going to look at this morning, and we'll go back and break it down. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself as an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that is made to dwell in us? Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives us grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, in the context of this, James is, is the pastor of the, of, of the first church in Jerusalem, and as he is also a brother to Jesus, he is thinking about and hearing about these churches, and so he sits down and write 
this letter to help these churches because there's a great conflict that has risen and there, were, there was quarrel and they were they're fighting in, the, in these churches. And perhaps it was the pressure of the culture. Perhaps it was, you know, some of them were suffering because they lost jobs and income. And, and, and you know, when we're under pressure, we can get stressed out. And but we really do not know what the, what the issue was, but they were arguing and they were fighting. And then uh, it was causing divisions. And James, moved by the Spirit of God, sits down and addresses this. And then he gives a solution. So, so he gives us the source of conflict, but also as he goes through and he gives a solution to the issues that these uh, churches are facing. That's been my experience, and I've talked to many pastors. Uh, in fact, I'm a third-generation pastor. Been around church life as many of you have been. You know, most of the churches fights and um, things and the, the things that argues that churches go through is really nothing like major doctrines, usually about preferences. I like this, you know, I'd rather have this and I'm comfortable with this and those type of things. I want to say this about our church. Let me say this about this church is beautiful and it has a wonderful testimony in this community for the last five years. Now, we have made some major changes. Some of you understand those because you have been with us through those changes. Five years ago, we started with our first service with uh, 23 people. And now we have, uh, uh, you know, we've gone through some things and changes. And, and, and I want you also to understand that that was some difficult because at that time, most of our church um, was was older older than Cindy and I. You know, there was just two or three, and and it's when the older you get, the more you know. I know this: the older we get, the more uh, uh, hard it is to make changes and transitions. But we came together. <laughs> we came together, and God gave us a vision. To make some changes because we, we, we started to see a vision that God wanted to reach this community and have a, uh, a change to, to reach this next generation. We've made great progress in that. And now there's still room and there's still growing there and we're still working uh, through that. But I love it, you know, that, that we can have a young men, and I call them young because he's younger than me, like Aaron come up and, and other people that have stepped up to, to have a burden and a passion to reach their generation for Jesus Christ. It is our, and I'm talking about myself, it is our privilege and opportunity and as well as obligation that we make sure that we hand off the baton to the next generation. And I'm so thankful that we have a church that has yielded their personal preferences so that we could reach these young families for the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friend, I'm proud to say we have, no, we have become known in our community, not for our judging and fighting, but for our love for God and for each other. I go everywhere around our community, and our community, and you know, they expressed in some way or some fashion, they know that we love them and that we are here for them. And that's to your credit. I'll be willing to 
transition, be willing to say, God, how do you want us to be as a church to reach this generation? So James hears about these fightings in the churches, and he sits down, he writes this letter, and he, and he gives us some solution. He gives him, you know, some answers for that. I heard of a Christian who was stranded on a remote island for 20 years. And when rescuers finally got to him, they found that he had built three structures. When they asked him about them, the man pointed to one building and said, that's my house. And over there, the rescuers asked, well, that's my church, the stranded man replied. He said, I'm Baptist, and I take my faith quite seriously. And over there, what is the third church, a third building? He said, oh, that's where I used to go to church before the split. You've been around church life. You appreciate that. Listen, as we go forward this in this message and, and it's looking at James, the context, you know, is happening in church, but, but these are some biblical principles that we can apply to other areas of our life as well, to our marriages, to our friendship, coworkers, places that we work. Now, as you think about marriages, <laughs> marriage is like a recipe for conflict, isn't it? Two people who have different views think differently, and you put them together and say, all right, I want you to become one. <laughs> you remember when you got married, those of you who have been married, you think about the things that you expected of your spouse, you anticipated this is how it's going to be, and a lot of those expectations were unreal. Maybe we had a fairy romance and we woke up one day to reality. There are like three stages in marriage. You know, the first one is, you know, a honeymoon. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's sweet. It's wonderful. You know, they're just, oh, just the, the birds are singing. The stars are so bright. And, oh, my goodness. And that may, they walk on water. You know, they just can't do anything wrong. The stage two, life starts to kick in. Reality starts to happen. <laughs> the party's over. Stage three, it's let's make a deal. <laughs> you learn that there's going to be arguments, and you learn how to work through those conflicts. And we're still learning that, that phase. Because we know arguments are going to happen. That's part of married life. That's part of our growth. And even in our relationship with God, if you be honest about that, it becomes, you know, we, we transitioned and, and, and we adjust in our relationship with God. There's going to be conflicting desires in a marriage. Frustrated feelings cause fights. So James is saying, you know, we're talking about this, but I want you to understand that these things apply to all of our, our, our areas of our life, to our friendships, relationships that we may have, even in relatives. And so James gives us, and he gives us a solution. And, and the solution is that people who are drawing near to God have less and less conflict the closer they get to God. So I'm giving you the bottom line, and so we're going to go there. But let's first go through the source of conflict. Verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? Now listen carefully, this is important, because what is the source of conflicts among us, where all this fighting is coming from, is from within. 
uh, you know, it's not them. It, it's, it's, it's within. Now, now, we must understand that God has created us with a desire to be pleased and to experience pleasure, and there's nothing wrong with that. Pleasure or enjoyment in life in itself is not a sin. You know, we enjoy eating, so God created taste buds. I mean, you, we, we enjoy that. Well, we enjoy the warmth of a fire, or, or we enjoy, uh, you know, relationship and friendships and what that means to us, and it warms our heart. We're created to enjoy pleasures through the intimacy of marriage. God made us physically to enjoy uh, uh, each other in marriage. But the key to understand what James is driving home and the conflict problem, it, it, it isn't wrong to enjoy the pleasure. It isn't wrong to, to enjoy the. You know, Buddhism teaches this, that sensual enjoyment and desire in general and sexual pleasure in particular are hindrances to enlightenment. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever become a Buddha. <laughs> Buddhist. Or a Buddha. Um, may it sort of look like one, but... But God has wired us to enjoy the pleasures through a godly life. It is the means, the vehicle that we pursue pleasures that, that comes to be the issue. I've got this need. Okay, how am I going to have that need taken care of? The problem is that we get it into ourselves and we wrestle with it ourselves and we figure it out ourselves and we, we take care of the need ourselves and it gets us into more trouble. There's a right way that's blessed, and there's a wrong way that hurts others and stirs up conflict. So number one, in your notes, if you're taking notes, the source of conflict is when we place our passions above God's word and people. Now, I can choose to pursue happiness God's way, or I can, you know, belt out a Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. <laughs> I won't... Uh, uh, harm you with that singing. <laughs> Even though I was wrestling within, should I sing? But I kicked in this principle. I said, no, I will spare you that. You see, we want what we want. And nothing is going to stop me from getting what I want. That's dangerous. It's conflicting. It stirs up people. I was FaceTiming my, my grandson the other day, actually my daughter and then her two kids, and, and, the, and, and then I was talking to Sparrow, and, and Summit, they're getting ready to eat breakfast, and Summit was throwing this terrible, screaming fit in the background. And my daughter says, yeah, he always does that because he wants his food, and he wants it now, and he's not going to wait. He's going to let you know that I want food now. And he screams. So, you know, the whole house is disruptive because of this child scream. And I was thinking, you know, I could imagine Summit as a 20-something-year-old or a 30-something-year-old, and he walks into the restaurant, and he still has this same attitude, and he says to the host, I'd like to have a table, and she says, well, it's going to be 15 minutes, and he throws a fit. <laughs> uh, 
because his passions run his life. You see, what causes conflicts and wars among us, when we put our wants and our passions above God's word and other people, we have a me generation. If it's all about me, then there's nothing left for you. Listen, but let's read on. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It is not this, that your passions are at war with you, within you. Excuse me. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He's asking a question, and the answer is yes. He said in verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, and you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Number two, the source of conflict is I have to have even if it means that I have to harm others to get. Your desire and do not have so you murder. Now, that's a really strong example here. We want what we want, so we'd be willing to kill it. Well, we may not, we may not actually, you know, do the actual stabbing in the back type, you know, physically kill. But we certainly could be hurting someone's feeling. We could cause someone to be harmed, may not physically, but Certainly in other ways. You want something so bad that you're willing to ignore how other people feel to get it. It could be wanting a promotion or recognition at work and you really belong to another coworker and you, you decide, I'm going to get it. I'm gonna step, you, you, you know, when you step on people to get what you want, that's wrong. James is saying that creates conflict. This is the source of it. You remember when David was walking on the roof and he should have been in the battle, but yet he would stay back and he was walking on the roof and he spied Bathsheba. And he had to have her. He just had to have her. I mean, there was this passion. That was in it. And no matter what stood in his way, those, those people said, you know, it's not, it's, she's married. I got to have her. And he goes past the walls, goes past restrictions, goes past, does great damage. And he, in that example, he certainly was willing to kill Bathsheba's husband so that he could have his passion fulfilled. We want to have things materialism, possessions, and there's nothing wrong with having things. God created things to be used to enjoy, and we use things and love people. But when we flip that, the problem is when we start loving things. We get that equation backwards, and we start loving things and using people. Can manipulate people, control people, move them around to get what we want because things become the most important above others. You know, that's why you, when you're watching TV and how many credit card commercials come on, you can have this 
You want that? You got it. Just sign there on the line, and we'll give you free money. <laughs> and uh, later, after you pay all the 15 20%, whatever it is, you deserve that. So get it. Think about this. The desire to have what we don't have is never satisfied. Howard Hughes, somebody said is a multimillionaire, said one time, somebody asked him, how much does it take to make a man happy? And he said, just a little bit more. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that if, if you want things you want to have, and that's what you want, you're never going to have enough. Something else. You're going to see some, your neighbor have something in, in their driveway that you'd rather have than what you just bought. And they upped you, or with a house, or, you know, or whatever, the education, or, or, or experiences, adventures, or, or mates. See, conflict happens when our passions become more important than people and what God wants for us, and we're willing to harm others to get what we want. This is serious stuff that James is telling us. Number three, source of conflict when you don't ask God for what you want. He says in the verse there, he says, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So whatever the desire you may have, we need to stop and seek it by the hand of God. And you see, our creator, he knows us best. He knows what we need. He, he's very qualified to supply the need. So we get in trouble when we try to take care of our needs ourselves. That's when the frustration because we can't do that. And that's where the context of conflict comes in. And it's never, it's never good to exclude God from our plans. And God gives good gifts to his children. He's generous. He wants to give us what we need. And he promises, you, you follow me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. And only he can do that. He promised to meet our needs. Promised to give desires of our Unless, as it goes into the next part of the verse, unless we ask amiss for what is forbidden. Well, what is not God's plan? You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's a wrong way to pray. There, there, are, there are right ways to pray, and there's wrong ways to pray. We can spend it on our passions. Let's go back to David and Bathsheba. We go back to them. We find David on the roof and so forth, and he sees Bathsheba, and he says, oh, I got to have her. I got to have her. And then he drops to his knees, and he prays to God, God, give me Bathsheba. Oh, I pray in sincerity and fervency, and I have the faith in God that you can give that to me. And God would say, no, this is not meant for you because she is out of bounds. She's married. And so there's a wrong way to pray. So when we pray wrongly, we spend it on our passions. Listen, when we pray for what we think we must have and we don't get it, God is saying that there is a greater need or reason for me not to answer. It doesn't matter how great a faith may we be. Jesus himself prayed the cup 
of suffering, let it pass from me. Sometimes, even in our pain, we want God to answer our prayer to take what is hurting us away from us, yet his response is that his grace is sufficient for us to go through the pain. A source of conflict happens when we try to satisfy our passions outside of God's plan for our lives. Instead of getting those needs met by the hand of God, we sometimes pray even how God can take care of our needs. And we tell God how, God, you can take care of me. I do that often. But I'm to submit to what God wants. Number four, source of conflict is when the pursuit of pleasure becomes more important than God's word and people. If the goal of our lives is to, if it feels good, do it. That's a terrible life coach. When my pleasure takes the place over what is needful, conflict happens. If I'm trying to feel comfortable if it is, the goal is, is just to feel good, I am more interested in my comfort than I am in yours, and all I think about is what makes me feel good, trouble begins to brew. It becomes all about making me feel good, and it can be at the expense of others. So James is saying here, James is saying this conflict is a result of trying to fill those emptiness as inside, the fighting as out of frustrations of being deceived that that is something outside of God can, that, that we think that God, that uh, we think that something outside of God can fill this emptiness and give us this happiness, this, this satisfaction in our passions. We can't. When we do life without the leadership of God, it causes conflict. We try to take care of things ourselves. Instead of looking up to God, we look for vertical, for what is, what can, how can I fix this? How can I take care of this need that I have and experience? A source of conflict with others comes within our own personal conflict of passions of what I want. I, I can't drive this home enough. The conflicts that we have with others starts with the conflict that's in our heart, our side, because we haven't resolved that. And we only do that through God. Now, James gets out the big sledgehammer, and he drives something really home powerful in the next couple verses. So he drives us home. Verse 4. You adulterous people. Wow. You adulterous people. God is calling them out. Instead of coming to me, he says, instead of coming to me to let me satisfy your needs, your passions, let, let me handle this. I know you. Your heart is even deceitful. But wicked. Who could know it? But God can. It says, you turn to another to meet your needs. Well, some of you have experienced this 
loved ones, marriage, even personally when people stray out of marriage. And God is saying, listen, in this relationship with me, it's like you have gone across this line and you have gone to others and I will be there to take care of you. You get the picture. Someone married looks outside their marriage to satisfy their passions. God says, this is what you're doing when you do this. This is strong words. He said, I've given you a well of living fresh water, and you choose to drink from a cistern, a, a stale water tank instead. He goes on to say, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enemy with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These are strong words. He says, if your highest aim is to enjoy this world, you cannot be a friend of God. He says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in you? God is jealous of us. He, he's, not, he's not trying to be mean. He's just jealous. He knows what we need. He wants to take care of us. And he yearns for love, of our love and affection. Is jealous when we divide our love with him and with others, even with ourselves. Well, let's go to the solution for conflicts. And it's, it's simply this. It's not hard to understand, is that we just draw close to God. The throne of God, God himself, there are no conflicts. The children of God around his throne, they're, in a, they're not up there right now. If, if we could view the, the throne of God right now, they're not up there arguing about, you know, this and that and whatever and all this. Uh, you know, they're not arguing at all. There's just peace and there's just oneness around God's throne. And so the closer we get to God's throne, the closer we get to God is there is this peace. There is less conflict in our life. And so I want to give you five steps real quickly that will draw you close to God because it's important. You want to draw, if you want avoid conflict, draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? Well, let me give you, because James puts it very clear for us. Number one, verse six, it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's a humble spirit through humility that we receive the grace of God. Some religions have it that you earn the grace of God, but, but simply we're to, uh, that God gives us this grace and it comes by gift from him. And uh, it, it is there simply when we deflate ourselves, when we're not proud, when we humble, God, I need you. I need you in my life. These are the needs. God, I'm, I'm praying to you. I'm asking you to help me. I'm not a good person to fill this need, God, but you are. We come to the presence. We come in a humble spirit. We have a humble spirit. Come through in the service on Sunday morning. God, I need to hear from you. You know, I appreciate the humble request that Cindy gave this morning. God, I need you. I need you. I need to hear you. That's a humble humility. Number two, we're drawn near to God. We not only be humble or of a humble spirit, but a submit to God. Verse seven, you want to draw near to God? Well, have a submissive spirit. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Let God be God in every area of life. Let him make decisions for you. Let him give 
Let him have controls. And we stop trying to be in the driver's seat. We let him to be in, in the driver's seat. We let him make the choices for our life. We let him provide for us. James says in verse 1, the reason we have conflict with those is because the conflict is inside ourselves. And when we experience peace within, we'll experience peace without. Who's in charge of my life? You know, say, God, I'm letting the peace of God rule in my life. God, you're in charge. God, I'm submitting. I, I, I have a humble spirit. I know I need you, and I want to submit to you. You're here this morning. Are, are you living a life of submission to God? See, his plans are your plans. You've submitted. You got your own goals, your own vision. You got your own what God, what you want. You and then you go and ask God to bless what you want to do. Let's let's change that. God, what do you want? And I'll follow you. And as I follow you in your plans, I know you'll bless your plans because it is what you want. Have we submitted to Him as our Lord and Savior? Have we submitted to him by being baptized? Have we submitted uh, to, to him? We're submissive to him in our living a life, walking with Jesus in our prayer, Bible, gathering with Christians, testifying. Is this a life of submission that we're walking? And he says, you want to draw near to God? Submit to God. Number three, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And why does James put this in here? It, it, it's, he's got to deal with the devil because when we're going forward, when we're submitting, we're, we're humbling ourselves, the devil is certainly going to try to ruin those plans. Now listen, we, we, the instruction is very simple. When we're dealing with the devil, it's not that you have to, you know, I pray in the name of Jesus that Satan be bound. It's not. You just resist him is what he's saying. Nowhere in the Bible do you find that person has to pray in the name of Jesus for that person to be bound by Satan. It's as simple as this. Satan is a weakling in the hands of God. Satan will flee. He is a coward. When you bring him to light, he's no longer there. He lives in deception and darkness. But when you turn the light on, he flees. When you recognize that he is his plans and you know that he is doing this and it is something that he's trying to stir up, then you say, I'm not going to have any part of that. This is what the devil was trying to do. I recognize it. Be wise to the devil. Resist him. And here's what he says. He turns away gradually. No, the Bible says he flees. He gets out of there. He goes someplace where he can do his work. Resist the devil. Let's just stick around. He wants us to be in conflict. He wants us to have this divided heart. He wants us to be stressed out and frustrated in, in constant battle and hurt and disappointed and confused and angry in our families and our marriages and all our relationships, including the church. Resist the devil. Be wise to him. By resisting the devil, you move closer to God. Number four, cause God to draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You want to be near to God? 
You simply draw near to him. You take a step towards God, and God steps towards you, so, so to speak. It's that he, you draw near to him, and he promises he's waiting for us. He's not going to barge in. He's not going to force himself. He's going to say, I want you to come. Would you come? I invite you to come. And if we do that, he opens his arm. It's like the prodigal son that comes home, and the father is watching and waiting, and he's looking, and, and he's waiting for his, father, his son to come home. And then he, when he sees him on the horizon, he sees his son coming towards him. Then he knows, knows that the relation is restored, and he runs to them. And this is the way God operates with us. We draw to him. He will draw to us. Number five. Be willing to ask forgiveness. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and sweep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. You want to avoid conflicts? Get along with others. Be willing to first ask forgiveness to God. I'm sorry about that. God, I want to have a short list with you. God, forgive me. Forgive me. Be willing to ask. Have a short list with others. When you hurt someone, when some comes to your mind that you've hurt, you go to that person and you tell them, I'm sorry. This has been a huge help to me because I, by nature, don't like to ask forgiveness. You know, I, I find it difficult, but what helps me with this when I have to do that, because I, wanna, I don't want to ask forgiveness, so I do right, so I don't have to be in that position to ask forgiveness. Paul says in Corinthians, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. And James closed that final verse where we're looking at this morning. He said, listen, if you humble yourselves before the Lord, he will exalt you goes back to humility. The key word to get along with God and others is humility. And we pray that God help me to be humble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I view your precious son's life, Jesus Christ, he was willing to humble himself before you, Father, before others, and ultimately before the whole world, even before the fallen angels, willing to humble himself. Father, there is no one who has come from the greatest point of heaven to the most humble status position in life than Jesus Christ. He and he alone was willing to humble himself for my sins, for our sins, so that we could walk and live in eternal perfection. And we are grateful that Jesus had no conflict with those who were drawing close to God. There was oneness with the Father's will and harmony with those who were trusting in God and following Jesus. Thank you for giving us the perfect example for how we are to walk in humility and a spirit of submissiveness 
and get along with others. Now, Lord, help me to think of others before I think of myself and my desires. May I be willing to admit when I'm wrong and have a spirit that submits to whatever God is asking me to do. I ask that the peace of God will, will rule, will govern my heart, that I may live in peace with others. Help me to be wise to Satan's plan of dividing and destroying our oneness and our relations. I ask that you help me to draw close to you, surrendering my will to your will be done. And we ask this in the most glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me? We can help you in any way, your spiritual walk. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus personally, but you'd like to. I will make myself available. I'll be right here at the front. You talk to somebody that you know, and, or if you have something to pray about, please, we'd love to pray with you with whatever's going on in your heart. Let's sing this last great old hymn. There's no greater place than the cross that um, allows us to draw near. If we have relationship problems, we can go to the cross. You know what's cool about the cross is that it is vertical and horizontal at the same time. And so that if we can keep it in check, this is what this song is, draw near to the cross. Yeah. 
thy precious bleeding side. There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross that narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with Have a great week. At the foot of the cross.